Hi there, friend. My name is John Werner. I used to be a part of the largest cult in the United States. After studying the Bible, Christian history, and ministry, I set my sights on confronting the problematic nature of white evangelicalism in the United States. In 2019, I published my first book as a first step in addressing the subtle issues of this complex system. This podcast will continue that work under the same title. Welcome to The Cult of Christianity. Content warning. While the cult of Christianity often deals with tough subjects regarding religious trauma and other triggering topics, some episodes may be more explicit than others. This episode contains content that may be distressing to some listeners. This may include multiple mentions of self-harm, suicide, sexual abuse, or other intense concepts. Please only listen if you are in the headspace to do so. Take care of yourself. Well, on today's episode, I have a guest who went to the same Bible college that I did. Uh, we have faint memories of each other, um, but nothing too personal. But I'm very excited for the conversation we're going to have. Please welcome to the show, Holly. Hey, Holly, how are you doing? Hey, good. How are you? Oh, you know, living the dream, living the dream over here. Um, so I know you grew up christian um how did you perceive christianity as a young child maybe versus like a as a teenager you know kind of contrasting what you thought as like a young kid versus when you started you know being able to think for yourself a little bit more so this one is kind of like a really in-depth one um i think when i was a kid just because like I was raised heavily in like the Christian sort of cultish Christian niche of Christianity. Um, as like a kid, I was very much so like absorbed in it. So like I was homeschooled and we were in all of these groups. Like we went to church all the time. Like we were part of so many like things within the church. And so I think for me, uh, it was just kind of like an unquestionable thing. Um, and so it was kind of like one of those things where I felt like if I didn't believe it, like I would go against my entire family. So it was kind of uh, very much so ingrained in me to the point where like, I know kids have like invisible friends or whatever, but like Jesus literally felt like he, he was like my invisible friend, which is so weird. Um, and then as a teenager, it kind of like, it changed a little bit. Um, cause like my parents went through this really bad divorce and, uh, my mom was still very much so trying to like control and, um, kind of like harness Christianity against me when I was doing something wrong. Um, which was very much so like, uh, when I was a kid, cause I, I think another aspect of what I believed in God when I was a kid, was just like, um, kind of like the God of the Old Testament, because the the way that uh, I got punished as a kid was like, my mom would like pick up a chapter or like a passage in the scriptures and make me like write it in cursive a hundred times until it stuck. So I had, <laughs> I had like childhood of like, he's an invisible friend, but he's also like uh brimstone and fire and whatever. And then as a teenager, it was like, oh, come on, like, this is just a reason why I can't do something fun. 
Um, but then all of that kind of changed when I got to thinking about like what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Cause I really had no idea. And so that's when I started thinking about being a uh, missionary. Is that what made you want to go to Bible college? Um, for me, Bible college was kind of a given. Um, I have two older brothers and, uh, one of them went to Bible college out in California the other one went to the same school that we went to, but the Chicago campus. And so, like, there was obviously, like, the option to go somewhere else. And I got accepted into, like, four different other colleges that weren't biblically based. But it was it was kind of like I was entrenched in that fear of, like, God is going to punish you if you don't do said thing. Uh, which is very much so, like, going along with, like, the whole cultish, uh, train up a child crap that my mom kind of raised us in. So like, uh, I think for me, I was too scared to do anything else. And that's why I ended up going to Bible college. When you say, you know, part of it was this, um, this kind of, yeah, he's your invisible best friend, but also, he's your punisher. Do you feel like you learned the punishment element more at home or more at church? Definitely more at home. Um, because like at church, like we, we went to like primarily non-denominational churches growing up. Um, so they're kind of like, I feel like the Joel Olstein type of churches from back in the nineties, but, um, definitely more of the punishment side was from my upbringing for sure, which was super toxic um, and definitely used as like a way to manipulate the family into getting what uh, my mom wanted us to do, which is always a good time. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll get more into the particulars of that a little later. Um, But how about now? How do you view spirituality now? Spirituality now is so different. Um, I feel like I've because I left Bible college in 2012. Um, and I feel like I've kind of had a couple different like variations or like errors when it comes to spirituality and what I believe in. Um, right now I would say that I'm more like new age spiritual, (laughs) definitely more on like the pagan side of things. I kind of still believe that there is something, uh, kind of holding everything together, but I'm also, very much so in the belief that we all hold a piece of like the creator inside of us. So we control our destiny and our environment. Um, So it's definitely, I would say like a 180 compared to where I was at and what I was like believing in back in college. That is very fascinating, isn't it? That when you um, switch over, I guess, to yeah, because I, 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 you know, if someone puts a gun to my head, I'll say something like neo-Buddhism. I don't know. I believe something, <laughs> but uh, but I'm not sure what. Um, and uh, but it's interesting that it does feel like a 180 when it, it might not be right. <laughs> it's like, I mean, if, if you speak in spiritual terms, but like because of this kind of uh, evangelical cult that we're talking about, like anything that isn't that is it's so black and white that to deviate from their message at all feels like the opposite. And even if it's closer to them than they would want us to admit. 
Oh my God. Like I totally agree. And what's, what's crazy to me is like, and I'm sure you can relate to this too, is like, you kind of feel like you're a rebel for going like the opposite direction is like your upbringing or going to Bible college and all of your peers there. But then it's like when you talk to people who have had like nothing to do with being involved with church uh, (laughs) and like you're just talking about stories or, you know, just like hanging out with them. I'm actually kind of more of a straight edge (laughs) than I think I am, because really it it was that whole brainwashing cult like uh, system that like put us in such a confinement to where any sense of rebelling against that seems like a giant act of defiance when it's really just like living your normal life. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, yeah, there's this general spirituality that you and I are probably more aligned with now. Um, And that is different than the kind of spiritualization that we probably had to deal with um, growing up and at Bible college. So uh, I found that when I was in the evangelical cults, like most psychological issues were framed as strictly spiritual issue- issues. So if you had a struggle, it was like directly related to some flaw you had or some sin you had. Or even if it wasn't a direct sin, it was still the result of sin or something like that. And this allows emotional abuse to be a category in Christian culture that's only reserved for like the extremes, like maybe they would call uh, shouting matches or big time manipulation. They might call that emotional abuse. Um, But the regular, more common types of emotional abuse weren't really dealt with. Um, And if it's in the context of a married couple, like the church was, churches seem to be uh, really ill-equipped to handle that because their entire structure and theology, in my opinion, is emotionally abusive. Um, But I'm curious, was there or has there been uh, an instance of emotional abuse from churches that, or a church or um, the church culture in general, or maybe even Bible college that's been difficult for you to like reckon with and understand, wow, I got emotionally abused by them. Honestly. So I think like, yes to all of them. Like let's just check the boxes on every single one of them uh, with my experiences with everything. But it really started when like, at least I I really noticed it when my parents started going through a divorce. Um, I want to say I was like 12 at the time. And this is when I was also homeschooled. So we were a part of so many different homeschooling groups that were all attached to churches, but to like our main church that we went to every Sunday, especially. And so uh, when my parents like we're officially getting a divorce and they weren't like in counseling or anything or talking to a pastor. It was just like basically complete isolation. And like, also uh, like the whole, like, how do I want to put this instead of them acting out their faith and being there in like service or support of like me and our family, it was like, you guys are sinning, so we want to have absolutely nothing to do with you, which was wild to me, like, especially knowing that, like, God actually does grant divorces in the Old Testament. (laughs) Like, it's just, it's such a weird concept, but that was really the first one, and basically, like, ever since that point, I always kind of, like, lost trust 
with people in the church. Like I would still be like super friendly, super open, really involved, but I didn't trust people as much because of that. Um, and then moving on, like I moved around so much, uh, when I reached high school and, uh, this one time we moved seven different times my freshman year. Um, and it was like every single youth group, there were just like these issues with like bullying, uh, hazing basically. And it just seems like, uh, cause like I would bring, bring it up. Cause to be honest with you at that point, when you move around that much, it's almost like you just see people as disposable, which is really crappy, but <clears throat> it kind of gives you that kind of energy of like, you know what, like F it, I'll just say something about it since I see it. And more times than not, it was just kind of like swept under the rug and whatever, which made it seem like it was like a, uh, what, is, what do they call that? Like the old boys club, if that makes any sense. Yeah, the good old boys club. Felt intensely like that. And then I think, you know, as I got older and especially at Bible college, because so for me, like this is my one taste of freedom that I had had in so long. And like basically, basically my entire life. And, uh, you know, another part of like my story or whatever, um, is my mom didn't let me talk to my dad for like six years. And so when I got to Bible college, it was like, I had all the time and space away from my mom to deal with everything all at one time. So like the first semester to me was just like, a cluster of just like dealing with interpersonal stuff. Thank God I was so entrenchedly like raised uh, in the church to where I could kind of BS all of my classes and still make it. But like, it was really, really difficult to connect with people because, you know, I thought that there would be like that sense of community at Bible college. Um, and there just really wasn't. <laughs> it was kind of like one of those things to where like, if you really did have an issue that you were dealing with, you're kind of like shuns, like what's wrong with you? Like you're supposed to have Jesus. And, like you just need to trust God more. It's going to be fine. And it's like, you know what? That might be true sometimes, <laughs> but not all the time. And you still have to acknowledge the problem. And I'm very much so hurting right now. So like, either care or let's not do this right now. Um, and I think that was like, you know, the first thing that happened at Bible college where I kind of like felt gaslighted um, by the whole, like, you just need to trust God more, like uh, lift your chin up. It's going to be fine. Instead of actually like sitting down and, and uh, kind of like being there for me in the way that I was there for other people. The second one was um, I like went through this really bad depression because of that, because I just felt like so isolated. Um, and I ended up, you know, having an issue with anorexia and I lost like 40 pounds in a month. And, you know, in instead of the RAs kind of like reaching out, uh, they actually tried to get me expelled, <laughs> which was great. Um, and I, it was just like a really hurtful time like in general. And like, those are the ones that really stick out, but it's like, I get, I could go on and on and on about this. Cause like, even with other people, just like witnessing the, the type of 
gaslighting and manipulation that they have gone through, like, it's just, it, it feels like it's rampant. It almost feels like it's a part of the religion to kind of, like, gaslight people under the guise of, like, Jesus. Yeah, I feel like the one phrase that you said that was so key was that phrase, um, failure to acknowledge, because it's it's one of those things where there may be abusive things in church or whatever, or there may be problems or whatever, and they'll, you know, you were talking about the community, like, they might say, like, yeah, there's this community, but at the end of the day, the actual root of the problem for the individual is ignored. And worse than that, it's assumed that if it's ignored, it'll go away. But reality is, it doesn't really matter what the church does or doesn't do. It's going to be dealt with. So it's kind of counterintuitive and uh, really not productive for them for like an issue like you just mentioned. Uh, and thank you for being vulnerable, of course, about um, anorexia. Like, it's like, well... So what? She gets expelled and then what? She finds Jesus? Like, what is your goal in that? Um, and it really just goes to show that there's some sort of cognitive dissonance between the redemption they supposedly want to be a part of in people's lives and what their actual actions demonstrate. Oh, for sure. Like, there's a stark, I feel like there's a stark comparison between, like, the words and the... um the Christianese that people speak and then like their actions and how they actually are. Like, I know for me, like being at that Bible college, like I would, I would see them like, you know, raise their hands and try to like impress, like, especially the girls, like try to impress like the other dudes with like how spiritual they could look. And then they would like go behind each other's backs and start all these drama and like backstab each other or just be complete a-holes and, my thing was, and this was like one of the things as to why I left Bible college was like these people wanted to be in vocational ministry, like trying to bring people to come with them for eternity, but they couldn't even get somebody to go to Walmart with them with how they were treating people. And it was just like this insane, like, parallel universe that I felt like I was trapped in that nobody else really saw because nobody talked about it. So it was just like, it was a bizarre time because it was almost like you're questioning reality because like you hear them preach this and you hear them talk about that. And then you're seeing all of these like behind the scenes dynamics and it's just kind of like, what is going on? Right. Yeah. Bible college is certainly like one of those um, kind of out of body twilight zone types of experiences for many different reasons. You know, a good quote I actually heard about emotional abuse. It, he, this guy was uh, lecturing specifically about fundamentalism, but I think it applies more broadly to evangelicals. Uh, he said that Christians want you to doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. And uh, I like that quote because it demonstrates this kind of feedback loop from hell and existential dread that's kind of um, built in because you can't even trust your thoughts. And I think the reason they don't want you to trust your thoughts is it forces you to depend on someone else. And that's the role the church actually wants to fulfill. Um, And I don't know if you have any examples. I, I, I think I have quite a few in my life, but I'm curious if you do. Uh, do you recall a time in life where you felt like you were kind of forced to be completely dependent on church guidance or spiritual leader guidance? Yes. Uh, two different occasions. Once was when 
ah, shoot, I think I was like a sophomore in high school. And um, I, I really like wanted to have contact with my dad because at that point, I think it had been, what was I like 15 back then? So it it had been three years of me not having any like um, communication with my dad or even seen him. And so, you know, I talked to my youth pastor at the time and I was like, you know, I really, really, really want to do this, but I'm also terrified of what my mom is going to do or think or like the punishment that she's going to have because it was always something. And like, he pretty much was just like, you need to listen to your mom. Like she knows best, blah, 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 blah. And then he like repeated a bunch of like Bible verses to me about honoring your parents. And I'm just like, how are you saying this to me? Because my dad is one of my parents. And it was just like, it's wild looking back on it because I like, if that were the case, like it would just like signal in my brain that, oh, this kid is probably being emotionally abused, if not more at home. And uh, maybe there's an issue here. So like that was the first time. The uh, the second time is a little bit more traumatic. Um, I was talking to one of the uh, leaders. I can't remember like what their like official title was or anything like that. But um, another part of like my story is, you know, I had uh, like sexual abuse trauma going on. Um, and like, this was from the age of like five to 11. Um, and it was with a family member, but it was also with members of the church. And it was kind of like one of those things where it, it almost felt like if you talked about it, like you would be the one to get punished and not the other, because like, we shouldn't talk about these things. Like it's totally normal, like, which was so bizarre, but I had spoken to a leader about it when I was 19 or 20 and basically was told that, like, it's been so long. Like, why are you bringing it up? You just need to forgive and let God like this person is in ministry now. He's obviously changed his his life around. And it was just like. It just felt like, again, like I was in that situation of when it was happening. And it had been so much time since it passed and I'd finally gotten the courage to speak up about it, but I was still like silenced. That was so uncomfortable. And I didn't talk about it again until I was 21. That's incredibly heavy. And uh, first off, of course, thank you for sharing all of that, um, how traumatic that must have been. Um, it, it really does point to how ill-equipped um, some of these supposed spiritual leaders are, um, because like you said, taking the easy way out of saying, well, you should honor your father and mother. Well, you're, and you're like, no, my whole thing is I'm trying to talk to my dad. Like, what are you talking about? This doesn't apply here. Um, and then two way more horrifying is the, well, now this guy's in ministry now. Well, look at Jerry Falwell, look at Ravi Zacharias. I'm like, what do you, what does that mean for anyone? Uh, and it's like, and regardless of whether you even deal with the abuser, how about the abuse that it needs some form of help? And so it's like, if the church is going to force people to be emotionally like dependent on them and then offer absolutely no resource or comfort when someone actually is using that resource it's like well then you're just being emotionally abusive yourself oh like for sure 
And, like, I feel, like, honestly, a lot of the church, like, elders and even some of, like, just the regular community members are very, very, very good at doing that. Like, they're they're really, really good at just, like, blanket blanketing the entire situation and kind of, like, it's almost like just burying everything, like, under a rug and then pointing in an opposite direction. Like, this doesn't exist. It's fine. But it's so toxic because, like, you know, if you if you don't have the help when you're a kid and you're going through, like, stuff like that, you're going to be struggling with it well into your, like, young adult years, if not longer, if you're not able to, like, get the help yourself, which with how, you know, America has its, you know, healthcare system <laughs> is a struggle. But it's like if if they just walked their talk and were just there for people instead of like going on these trips and spending all this money to fly out there just so that they could take pictures with like kids who are uh like black and brown just for the photo op, like they would be doing so much better. And I think like that was honestly one of the biggest blessings of Bible college was like that professor that we had um, who was talking about like how, how like in Christianity and especially with students who want to go to Bible college, there's like this romanticism about religion. And like whenever like they feel called, it's like this, it's almost like falling in love or something. Like it's so magical and all this uh, bull crap. But basically like you are planted where you're at for a reason and you can do your service there. Like there's no reason to go anywhere else. And it's like, there are people within the church who are legitimately hurting. And yet instead of helping them, you're shaming them. You're silencing them. Like you're feeding patriarchal toxic garbage down their throats and expecting them to be okay when really it's just like indoctrination and brainwashing yeah full agreement over here um i definitely think it's it's brainwashing and that that really i mean you're talking about you know having to figure out how to deal with that later in life when you experience that as a child i mean one of the most heartbreaking elements of this emotional abusive nature of church is all the misconceptions and misconstrued behaviors that children like learn then repeat. I mean, the worst modeling of, uh, of how to love is being done in church because they frame love as obedience. And this very easily lends itself to children believing that they need to obey to love or they need to be obeyed to receive love. And I personally have had to unlearn this toxic understanding of love myself, and I'm still working on it. Um, and trying to, you know, frame my own uh, love language in a healthier way. Uh, have you had this struggle as well? Yeah, um, I think it's more so like obeying because like as a woman, you know, there, <laughs> there's that whole like you have to submit sort of a thing. But it's like it's not even just to men. It's like also to like elders, it's to your parents, it's to whatever. And it's basically like you have to obey everything that's a figurehead over you without question. And like, it really, really messed me up when it came to just like, man, just so many relationships, um, like friendships, like super toxic friendships, super toxic, uh, you know, leadership 
relationships. Um, definitely in my marriage, like I had this whole misconception that if I just obeyed enough or if I just like submitted and loved him enough that, you know, everything's going to be perfect. And it's like, that's not how it is because like you're a separate entity away from your marriage and they could be like completely against like how you're trying to love them. And so like, that's a whole weird rabbit trail to go down when it comes to like marriage, but then also too, like sometimes you can love someone so much and obey someone so much to your own detriment. And I feel like the church has put such an emphasis on being selfless that like it can also be toxic to yourself because you're, you're not, you're not establishing healthy boundaries when it comes to friendships uh, sexual relationships, uh, romantic relationships, like even just like time, like for some reason, there's always this thing about, you know, like you're supposed to, um, you know, volunteer for people. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. Like, but like you need time to be your own person too. And so like, from that perspective, I just feel like it was really shoved down my throat to always like, be more submissive, uh, be more quiet. Don't be as opinionated, like just always go with whatever, you know, the, uh, the man in charge says. And it was really hard to get out of that for a second, but <laughs> once I did, it was just like, I can't go back. <laughs> like, I'm just going to keep getting more and more like confident and defiant and, you know, what have you, because I just can't deal with the facts that like I was stuck in that for so long and I thought it was okay. Absolutely. I mean, one of the clearest things that you brought up it, it, when it comes to this, um, uh, just be emotional abuse in the sense of, um, you know, there's these prescribed gender roles of, and, and it definitely, affects the one I, I can testify to the man side that more often I certainly did also struggle with if I just obey enough it counts as love um, but obviously from a patriarchal system where I suffered was actually assuming that if people weren't obeying me they weren't loving me and that's really unhealthy too and detrimental not only to people that I could potentially continue the cycle of emotional abuse to but damaging to myself as well because Geez, when when do people obey you all the time? Never. So like you're never going to actually feel loved in that system. And that's very isolating and confusing and frustrating and is going to provoke different types of issues. Um, I know you're a mom. Do you have any advice on how to combat like this ideology? Because I feel like children are really susceptible to assuming obedience means love. So I think like for me with um, Charlie, who's my son, he's about to turn three. Um, he like, I just, I want him to be able to be his own person. Regard, like I'm, I'm basically rearing him to be a morally good person. Right. And I feel like that's just like the plane that we should be at, like treat others as you should treat yourself. Like, um, be nice. Like just you know, just like moral plane, but then everything else after that is up to him. Because I feel like the way that I was raised is basically like, read your Bible, know it well, so you can impress other people. Uh, and, you know, it'd make me proud. And then don't be who you are. 
<laughs> like, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't question anything. Just like regurgitate back the information that I just gave you. And so at this point now, it's like Charlie's like going through this little bit of a defiant streak, which is fun. Um, and for me, it's really about like communicating, finding like what his love language is. Like for me, if he's upset, I really want to go up to him and hold him and like, uh, you know, rub his back or whatever. But like he hates that. <laughs> he feels almost like claustrophobic. And as much as it could bother me that he doesn't like want to come to me and be held, like I also have to sit back and think, okay, this isn't his love language and accept that and move forward. And it's kind of like in all aspects, that's what I'm trying to do as a parent, like correct him when he needs to be corrected. Um, but allow him to be who he is in his like, um, you know, facets of different kinds of like personality traits and likes and interests and just basically kind of like foster who he is as a person. Because at the end of the day, I'm like, Charlie isn't mine. I don't own him. Like I'm just guiding this small life into existence to be his own person. And that's just kind of how I, I think about it going forward. And like, I don't want to raise a kid who's just going to blindly obey me. Like, I want him to respect me, like, obviously. Like, I feel like that's just, like, a given for parents and kids. But I don't want him to never question things. Like, I want him to be able to sit down with me and talk to me about anything. Like, and even if he knows that I disagree, no, it's, like, an open conversation. And I, I feel like really that's what's needed so much in like Christian households because it would save kids so much hurt and so much time wasted on things that they're not even like interested in. I do know. I'm sitting over here just thinking, will you adopt me? Um, but uh, yeah, no, that's definitely an epidemic type level of problem in Christian households uh, as far as child rearing goes. And it really shows that you've been through the gauntlet to learn these lessons and are applying them in your life. That's pretty impressive. So we've talked a lot about the emotional abuse elements, but perhaps surprising to some people is the amount of physical abuse that happens. And the most common one, of course, being husbands abusing their wives. Um, somewhere around 30% of church-going women surveyed in different studies said that they've been hit by their spouse at least once. Wow. And um, in fact, most stats seem to show that married women are more likely to be physically abused if they are going to church. Um, and while most of the men I grew up around, uh, the way they would talk, they made it sound like they had zero tolerance for men who hit their wives. But then as I got older, I learned it was a lot more common in Christian culture than I ever would have guessed. Um, and, you know, physical abuse, I mean, it's a direct way of trying to control someone, right? It's a rather animalistic style of non-thinking um, that reduces complicated problems with what seems to be a simple solution. But the trauma that comes from someone violating your physical autonomy by, um, you know, hitting you or, or other kinds of physical abuse from the person that you are supposed to trust the most, that's that's a long lingering type of trauma. Um, so what role should churches have if they should have any role at all when it comes to physical abuse of uh, the married members of their congregation? Oh, God, <laughs> man, that's like a that's a big one. That's deep. Um I think, like, 
for me personally, I can't speak from, you know, the perspective of being abused by like a spouse, at least physically, not, not physically. But um, I think, you know, a lot of the time, the church points to women, right? So like, if this is happening, or, uh, you know, the, the, a woman brings up that there's like even emotional abuse going on. I've seen it like within my parents, uh, the fact that the pastors will just tell the the wife that she's not being as submissive enough. Like she's not respecting him enough. She's not being submissive. She needs to go back to her husband. Like these are legitimate things that were said to my mom, even though come to find out she was actually lying about what was going on in my parents' marriage. But that's a whole different conversation. But these were things that the pastor was saying to my mom under the guise of like, this is actually happening within the household. And I think, honestly, and like basically from the beginning, like uh, modern Christianity anyways, like it's very patriarchal which is very strange considering like the original text is not really that way, especially the old Testament. Um, but it's just kind of one of those things where it's like women are silenced into being obedient and men are able to take advantage of that in order to get what they want. Um, and then also like, with my experience of it, it wasn't with the spouse, but it was actually with my mother. And uh, one of one of the curriculums that apparently is now uh, termed as a cult curriculum, uh, Dr. Dobson, um, there's like that Bible verse that says, like, train up an, a child in the way you should go for when he is old, uh, he will not depart from it. So they used that. And then they also used um, spare the rod, spoil the child. And that it's so crappy, like it's terrible. And like this curriculum literally used those Bible verses in order to be able to physically abuse kids because it would like it literally talked about it in the book of like, you know, if they're disobeying you, like tell them to go into the bathroom, take like a wooden spoon or a spatula and like uh, beat them as many times as their age and then. Uh, if they're still doing it, just keep bringing them in there and blah, 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 blah. And it, it was it was wild because they would have like um, actual meetings uh, like once a month where all the parents would come together and they would talk about like their experience of using this, which is so crazy to think about. But um, with my mom, like it was a constant thing. And it was totally okay by the church. Like these meetings were held in church and they all talked about their experience of what they were doing to their kids at church. And uh, funny enough, or not so funny, like that was one of the reasons why my parents separated the first time was because my dad wasn't okay with my mom physically abusing me. Because there's one time uh, during the summer, like he woke up and I was in the bathroom. And then I was in the bathroom pretty much all day off and on again until like night. But it was totally acceptable because spare the rod, spoil the child. So, yeah. so like answer your question, I just feel like if you're a woman, they silence you. 
and tell you to be more submissive. If you're a kid, just like forget it. There's not a fighting chance. And then like for those uh, rare occasions, like if it's like a woman, like, uh, you know, beating a man or being domestically like abusive to a man, like it's almost like shameful for them to even bring it up. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. Um, one thing I'd also say is that, you know, you brought up this um, this whole spare the rod, spoil the child thing, which is a misrepresentation of one verse in Proverbs. Um, but, uh, you know, there are mixed opinions about spanking children as a form of punishment. And I was spanked as a child. Um, and I don't typically think of it in terms of abuse. I think my parents did, a, did it in a fairly, like, logical way and uh, not really ever in excess that I can remember or maybe once or twice but still felt very human not so much like I would categorize it as abuse but regardless of all that people's opinions about punitive spanking um doesn't really matter it what's really inappropriate is what you're talking about which is that churches I grew up in called it a biblical mandate and um and like kids are unique and families are unique and rewards and reprimands should probably look unique and be you know case by case and so yep. the fact that churches are requiring parents to hit their kids is deeply problematic. I mean, if even if they don't directly say it, they heavily imply that it's sin not to hit your kid. Um, yes. So so why? Why do these churches want parents to spank their kids? Is it just simply they want kids obeying their parents or is something else going on here? Well, I think it's like it's it's just one of the things that's so ingrained, like honor your father and your mother spare the rod, spoil the child. Like these are things that we learn to not question. Like, and gosh, like, I don't even know like how to put this into words exactly, but it's like, there's certain beliefs that are so intrinsically Christian that it's hard to question them when you're in it. Because if everybody's going for it, like, then how does it seem wrong? You know what I mean? That's why there's so many, like, abuses within within the church. Because, you know, like, in order to be a, a good Christian, you're supposed to, one, get married, two, be fruitful and have kids. And then you have all of these other, like, silent rules of, you know, the, the certain norms that are pushed on you. Like, the certain roles that you're supposed to have. And there's definitely, like, a a stereotype and kind of a, a sort of lifestyle that you have to live regarding those roles too. And I, I think it's just really one of those things where like when you're part of that kind of a community, it becomes normalized. And so you just do it. Like there's, there's no other, like there's no question. There's no doubt. You just do it. And it's crazy. It certainly is crazy. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I struggle to wrap my head around it. You know, I've seen with my own two eyes, um, kids be, uh, physically abused and I'm not just saying like, I've seen tons of kids get spanked in my lifetime. And I, again, I'm going to stay fairly, uh, neutral on that topic, at least for this episode. Um, but I have actually seen kids like, abuse. like I, I saw an elder of my, uh, church that I was in high school, like, uh, you know, slam his kid against like the sink of the bathroom, you know, <laughs> and like, and like, it's like people want to think, oh, well, that's an extreme c- case. 
Um, and granted, I I do think it was somewhat of an accident. Um, I do. He was like putting him up on the counter or something to give him a talking to, and he just did it so forcibly that the kid actually was like bleeding. Oh um, my gosh. And, you, and I looked at him and that leader looked me dead in the eyes and he said, well, I was going to punish him, but God did first. Wow. And like these types of examples, oh, you're like, oh, that's extreme. That's terrible. I'm like, this is just normal. Like I, I, right. I, <laughs> yeah, I like, I'm like, and like, you know, I was probably like 13, 14. What was I supposed to do about that? Yep. Especially if a leader says that, like, how are you supposed to question God? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's like, yeah, putting all this, of course, you're going to have improper conceptions of God if physical abuse is ever tolerable. And when you read some of the more um, problematic pieces of scripture or like, you know, some of the like parts of the Old Testament that make us all wince, like it's not hard to extrapolate that a God like that might be this kind of cosmic abuser when you look at it and you see it around you at church. Yep. And there's like, there's this whole rabbit trail that I could bring into this, but it's way too new age and would go way off topic from where we are. I'd love to hear it uh, at some point, but um, I did actually want to transition into talking about kind of the third main category of abuse, which is sexual abuse. Um, And this, I know this section will be especially triggering. So um, if nothing's triggered you yet, audience, uh, but you think this might um, go enjoy, uh, drink on me or something um listen uh the biggest problem hands down is that consent is not taught that's the biggest problem for sure um and i'm going to actually cover this more in another episode i have another guest coming on that i'm very excited about to talk to her um she's a like um religious trauma counselor and i'm very excited to have her on to talk about this topic but i did want to bring it up in this one because churches do not talk about consent on the sexual level or otherwise. Um, And that's partially because their theology involves God acting in your life without your consent. And um, this fosters a culture both within marriage and in young people to not worry about consent or even know what consent is. Uh, You know, I had a friend from the Bible college you and I went to that told me that in class, a young man sitting next to his fiance said that consent is given on the wedding day. Wow. And no men argued with him and the professor was female and she kind of struggled to know how to address oh it my and God. And this is really problematic because that leads to sexual abuse. And um and even in our western culture, um consent I still um it's still rarely understood um just in general, not just in churches, but it's especially heinous in white evangelicalism. Um, do you think it's just a microcosm of the general ugliness or is there something especially bad about it in churches? Oh, it's, it's interesting because like, there really, there really isn't much that's said in the Bible about sex. And the only thing that's really talked about when it comes to marriage is like, the man is the head of the household, like wives submit. But it's like people have filled the gap and it's not, let's not say people, let's say misogyny and the patriarchy has really filled the gap between like wives be submissive and then like, let's just abuse them. Um, It's just, it's a, it's a really, really weird thing and a, a like crazy aspect of church 
Because like, I know for me with my experience is like, if you are going to be married, like you are supposed to submit yourself to your husband sexually. Like, even if, you know, it makes you extremely uncomfortable or you don't feel like doing it or, you know, uh, just like a plethora of issues. Like if, if you don't want to do it, you're still supposed to do it because that's how you love your husband and you're supposed to submit to him in that way, which is so problematic because it almost like it dehumanizes women. Like it devalues how we feel our opinions. Like we don't have body autonomy in a Christian marriage in that regard. Like, let alone, like, everything else, like, outside of, like, Christianity, we don't really have body autonomy, but, like, especially within that very cultish Christian environment, it just seems like there's a giant disregard for women when it comes to, like, their value, their their thoughts, their feelings, like, everything. I wouldn't yeah. say it was, you know, just, like, blanket coat and say that it's like Christianity but it really is like the patriarchy and misogyny because true Christianity would not be for that yeah it's uh it, it can it condones spousal rape I mean that's that's what it does um and like I I mean, to say you're going to have to have sex whether you like it or not, I mean, I don't know what else you would call that besides sexual assault, you know? Um, yeah, I was 20 when I even learned what the word consent meant. Do you remember how old you were? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I think I was, like, 14, 15. Well, I'm, I'm, 14, 15 is still too late. Um, right. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would definitely say not even learning that word till I was 20 is one of my biggest um, angers, really, about how I grew up. Um, because it's not like I learned about it and then was like, oh, I hate that. Like, as soon as uh, someone explained to me what consent was, I was like, oh, my God, this would have been so much so useful right. in my life. Um yeah, and I had to I had to reckon with a lot of my history, um, kind of both sides of the coin, if you will, um, when it came to consent, um, and that was really tough to do. It would be like emotionally traumatizing, almost. Yeah, I would say it was. Because um, like it's not your intention to hurt somebody, but then when you step outside of the cult, you're just like, oh crap! Like I really did hurt people. Absolutely. And to be very clear, just so because we're kind of talking vague, I don't really feel like getting into all those details of my life. But one thing I will say, I'm not saying I ever had sex without someone's consent. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm just talking more in the general, like, how I thought about kissing girls or how I thought about approaching girls and that kind of thing. It's something because, like, I remember church. I remember youth group, Bible college. It was kind of like one of those things to where if a guy liked you, then it was, you know, divinely supposed to happen. And like, even like as a woman, like if you were not super interested or, you know, and it, like it was almost like there was so much pressure as a woman to be like, oh, well, God obviously wants me to do this because he wants this. And also, like, I, you know, that's a good point you brought up because, yeah, the first girl I ever had a crush on, I didn't think I had a crush on her. I thought God wanted me to marry her. Yeah. And it, it's like, man, and we, there was a lot of bad things that came out of that dynamic. Um, 
because of my lack of understanding about autonomy. Um, And this is where it gets even darker, in my opinion, because when sexual abuse is discovered in Christian circles, I mean, rather predictably, as it is in the wider, you know, net of society, the victim's ignored. And then if they are not ignored and any genuine investigation takes place, abusers are more quickly forgiven. And I guess you could say this fits the theology of God's grace being displayed more if the crimes (laughs) forgiven are more heinous. Um, But that just feels unjust and stupid. Um, So do you think it's possible? This is I'm kind of leading you with this question. But do you think it's possible that sexual abusers are forgiven easier, not only for theological reasons, but perhaps kind of like you were talking about the good old boys clubs? Um, Because it's so common that men running the show in churches do not want accountability. I really do, Um, especially with like my experience uh, with my family member, Um, because so at the at the time that this had happened where I brought it up and was actually like, you know what, screw it. Like, I'm going to say what happened. People are going to hear me and I don't care what they have to say anymore. Um, You know, he was a youth pastor. And one thing that was said to me by another family member, which was really like. I understood where they're coming from, but it was also a lot of pressure to put on like somebody who is just now processing their sexual, sexual trauma. Like how many years later, 10 years later, like it was just a lot, but I was told like, Oh, like since, you know, you're not a minor anymore, it is now your responsibility to make sure that this doesn't happen anymore because he's a youth pastor. Yikes. Right. And I like, I totally got where they're coming from, but it was like, okay. Like, all right. So instead of me having like this moment of just like support and going through like the healing process, it was like, you have to take care of other people. I was like, okay. But anyways, that's a rabbit trail. But, but basically what had happened is like, you know, I looked at the statutes of limitations just to make sure, you know, like I could proceed with, you know, trying to, what would you like investigate? him to see if anything was still going on um and when somebody found out about that within the church they called me up while I was at work and uh told me that I was crucifying him like literally said I was crucifying him for wanting to have an investigation to make sure that no other kids were getting abused I mean talk about at minimum dramatic right um (laughs) Because first off, I, I didn't, I've run into this problem a million times with churches. If you have nothing to hide, what are you like? You should let outsiders look into, look behind your doors, right? Right. Um, secondly, this is this is a issue because well, what the, well, my mind I could go a lot of different ways, but the way I want to go is. There, there are so dang like uh, hardcore about needing to be above reproach when it, you are a leader in the church. So, yes. and then they turn around and say, "Well, people false accuse," and I'm like, "Well, even if they do, that's not above reproach." Like, I'm like, it, it, you know, above reproach means there wouldn't even be a chance of a false accusation. So, right. the fact that there's with a lot of credibility like a freaking family member <laughs> coming forward and saying mm-hmm. hey this um 
you know, to to be reluctant to that is pretty crazy. So, did you feel like that that um your sexual abuse was institutionalized at all? Yes. Um because so like going back to like if you don't get the help and support that you need as a kid when you're going through it, um you know, I've had like really bad repressed memories, like my memory has just gone to crap. And so through the process of, you know, going through therapy now and doing a lot of self-reflection because I like I would like to say that I'm a completely different person and I'm a much more healed person than I was back then or even a couple years ago but it's still it's always a process right so once you learn and grow and heal from that there's still more you got to do and so one of these um you know facets that have come up recently was uh one of my friends from childhood um, came to my house now. And, uh, you know, we were talking about like homeschooling, the kind of Christian cult we were in because she, she also left it and thought it was really weird. And then, um, she started talking about, you know, some abuse that had happened within her home and her, uh, you know, family member had done the same exact thing that mine had done to me. And when I heard about it, it was wild to me because I felt so alone at the time. And like for years, I just felt so alone, like that this had happened to me. I felt like I couldn't relate to anybody. Like I felt like a piece of me was kind of like taken away from me. And then come to find out, like my childhood friend had gone through it. And so, you know, I told her that I had the same exact thing happen to me. And her words were, that doesn't surprise me at all. And I was like, oh, like, what do you mean by that? And so she started talking about the leaders we had, the, uh, you know, the mentors that we had who were in high school and all of these, <clears throat> sorry, all of these memories kind of like rushed in that I had repressed for so long. But there was a, um, there was a dad in that church who was mentoring the uh the boys who were our family members age and showing them porn raping some of them and then telling them to do that to their family members so it was like this whole string that started with this one person that was like totally it was like a ripple effect of just like trauma and abuse and then it went a step further to where other kids from different families were doing that to each other. As soon as me and my friend had that conversation, I talked to all of our friends and it was literally like 70% of them had gone through this, but none of us had talked to each other about it. Wow. I mean, what, what power, <laughs> um, what, what, um, insidious, um, horrible uh things that wouldn't even be possible in most institutions but in an institution like a church um that feeling of not even surprised kind of creeps into me too i mean i i'm over here very heartbroken i mean it's very visceral and very traumatic and terrible to hear that you were that you know it wasn't an isolated incident for you or it wasn't like you know just oh someone had a bummer or the bad luck of the draw i mean it really is heartbreaking when you realize that it's on that level um 
And maybe even more heartbreaking is just that, like, this is by the people who supposedly have the answers for ultimate love and truth. Like, yes. <laughs> what? Um, it's and, and it, it is laughable. I mean, you have to find the comedy and the tragedy a little bit. Um, and uh, yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's really tough. I mean, you sound like you've um, done a lot of work to recover from that. Well, it's kind of like. I feel like for women, it's so different, like experiencing it, like not, it's not lessening it at all, but it's like, we experience like, regardless of what religious like organization, or even if you aren't religious at all, like women experience harassment and, you know, sexual abuse on like a rampant scale. And so like, I wish I could say that that was all that has happened to me in my life, but like that was the catalyst. Right. And I think this is another thing that's not talked about is like, and, and, and it could be for both men and women, but maybe different aspects. But, um, I know for me and a lot of those friends in that group, like that was the first moment of, um, sexual abuse. But like when you're under the guise of like, you know, God thinks this is okay, or I'm your leader, you have to listen to me, or, you know, the silencing verbiage that they use, like, you think it's okay. And so then for a minute, like a couple of years, however long it takes you to step out of that, you think it's totally fine for men to do that. So like that had happened, right? But even after that, after the situation with my family member, like, um, a doctor, molested me. I had someone on a plane molest me. Um, I had someone at a party molest me. And then like a year ago, I had it happen again. But what was different was like the facts that I started like questioning more and more because I was already not a part of the church. Right. But I still believed in God. I still believed in, you know, some of the the things that have been kind of like ingrained in me for so long, but I really started questioning it then. And it's like, why, why should I allow something that's so toxic and by like violating to me and my body? Like, why, why should I allow that behavior to keep on going just because I'm you know, back then it was totally fine for that to happen. So it's almost like you have to grow into being okay with having body autonomy and establishing these boundaries and calling people out. Like it's a really, really tricky, bizarre slope when you've experienced, uh, I, I would say emotional trauma, sexual trauma, like any kind of trauma or abuse, like as a kid, it's almost like you have to grow out of it as you age because it's still going to be an issue until you say that it's not anymore wow thank you so much for uh honestly just sharing like the extent of what you've gone through um i really hope that it's um helpful to any listeners who maybe have had trouble framing their abuse and like maybe calling it what it was um but uh i'm guarantee it happens uh, a lot more than christians would ever be willing to admit um in in their circles and you're right it does extend beyond um the christian cult which kind of um the last question i really want to ask is um do you think that this christian cult is just permitting 
extreme abuse or are they responsible for upholding an, a, a system that is inherently abusive? Okay, so if you want, like, my honest opinion, and this is probably gonna, like, offend some people, perhaps, like, what, if they're still, like, involved in the church, but from, like, researching and reading and just, like, looking into, you know, like, the the reality of the situation with how the church was started and everything, like, the church was all about money and power and a way to, like, uh, basically have a way to manipulate people without needing an army, if that makes any kind of sense. And so I think maybe not the church of, like, the New Testament or when Jesus was around, if you believe in that, but, like, from, shoot, because what was the Council of Trent, like, 1527? <laughs> I still have that ingrained in my brain, but it's, like, Ever ever since men have, like, come together and, like, duped it out over, like, whose theology was best and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's just not, it's been inherently evil in a way. Because, like, it has dictated uh, the way society is. It's dictated who's in control. It's dictated who has money and who doesn't. Like, and me personally... Once you pull back that layer of charm that the church has with, like, community and we do things for other people and blah, 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 and you look at, like, the actual root of how the church started and why it was there, like, you, can't, I can't see anything else. Like, to me, it's just a way to manipulate people and it's a way to feed money back into, like, this 2% system. Yeah. I mean, I can't agree with you more. Uh, you know, if I wanted to plug my book here, I would say churches control, contain, and convert. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's very true. It's um, There's a lot of establishment. By the way, it's 1545. You were close. Um, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and yes, I did Google it because I couldn't remember either. Um, <laughs> hey, we got uh, 1500. So. Yeah, no, I was impressed. I was thinking 1627. So you were closer than I was. Um <laughs> But uh, listen, yes, you're right that it's um, it's a whole power structure. It's not just an instance of extreme cases. And I hope anyone listening who hears your story doesn't go, oh, my gosh, that's so bad. I'm so glad I didn't grow up in a church like that. And the question I would pose is, are you sure? Because um, I'm sure there were many people in the environments that you were in who had no idea what was going on. For sure. And I think it's also one of those things, too, that even if there's not extreme amounts of abuse, like in my case, like, there's also, like, gaslighting and belittling and, you know, kind of like spiritual bullying that goes on in every church. And I think so much it's normalized and it just becomes, you know, a part of, you know, just going to church and blah, blah, blah. Like, this is just how people are. but. There's definitely forms of toxicity in every church under like the demise of we love Jesus and you should too. Absolutely. Holly, this has been absolutely great. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug, promote, or like any, any, I don't know, resources or anything like that? Not really, but just to like leave on always question. 
like even if you're firmly believing in something, always research it and just make sure that you don't believe this just because your parents want you to or because a group of people want you to. Like it's totally okay to have whatever beliefs that you do have, but make sure that you understand and full-heartedly believe it on your own. I could not put it any better myself. That is the best way to combat abuse is to recognize who you are and to stand up for who you are. This has been absolutely great. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Awesome. I'll definitely have you back. And thank you, listener. Hope y'all have a good day. In a world full of toxic Christianity, one man has elected to change everything. What's his name? No, no, what, what's his name? <laughs> oh, it's me. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm John Verner, son of Timothy Verner. It's <laughs> my dad's real name. God help the poor guy. <laughs> I'm just out here trying to tell people Christianity's a cult. Yeah, he is. And he's even written a whole freaking book about it. And now you can read all about his opinions in The Cult of Christianity by John Verner. Yeah, you should go buy my book, guys. It helps me buy Taco Bell. If you wish to learn more about what's going on in my life or wish to purchase my book, go to vernerbooks.com. If you'd like to support this podcast, please continue to listen, follow, share, and consider supporting through the link in the show's notes. For as little as 99 cents a month, you can help me book guests, upgrade my production value, and start exciting projects. Thank you for listening, and remember to keep love in your life, hope in your heart, and searching in your soul.